tyranny was broken by the sins of the father, and his shepherds finally ceased to roam, seeking instead the simple peace found in the comfort of heart and home. All eyes now turn to his heir and son, who forged their home with his power. Will he be strong enough to lead them in this, their darkest hour? Welcome back to Lost Tribe, Darkest Hour. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow and subscribe to help me keep bringing this story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 9 The Under-Realm, the realm of the dead, is not a pleasant place. As I set foot on the plain that housed the underbelly of all the worlds, I was reminded of just how desolate and cruel the heart of Father had been, if this was where he chose the spirits of the dead to rest. I stood on a paved street in a suburb of some modern town that I didn't recognize. It was winter, and the snow came down in drifting colonies, caught on the kind of breeze that never let you feel comfortable, always seeking the warmth of your flesh underneath whatever warm clothes you chose to wear. It was always winter here. The houses stretched on for miles and miles, but all of them were dark. Here, it was perpetual night, and the houses were not lit for they were full of the souls of the dead. But it was not completely dark, for a great cyclonic storm turned in the middle of this place, a great turbine through which souls arrived and were taken up as the cycle of death and rebirth endured. The energy from those souls being taken up to be reborn lit the cyclone with their burgeoning power creating a strange cobalt glow that lit the pervading gloom of the dead town. The dwindling souls of the dead drifted down with the snow as dull orbs and lay about, waiting to be collected by their caretaker. I looked up at the soul storm, squinting to make out his form against it, a black smudge hovering before the massive cyclone. As I watched him, he seemed to sense my presence, which I bloody well hope he did, as this was his place, and he was the guardian. He turned away from the soul storm, and floated down towards me at a fast pace. As he drew closer, I realized that this would not be easy, as he looked upon me with no small amount of contempt. Very little had changed since my last visit, which was nearly five years ago now. His skin was mottled, pale and ruined in parts, but healthy and florid in others. Scars gleamed across his bare muscled chest and neck, continued on towards his bare scalp and face. The eyes that beheld me carried no warmth, and were the pale gold of a logger. He wore a large, dark red frock coat which fluttered in the wind and snow, a pair of well-worn breeches, and a short sword upon his hip and a dull red scabbard. As he landed, his bare feet made impressions in the snow, for he was a large man standing over me by nearly half a foot. If he felt the cold in this place, it never seemed to show. Well, once again we are graced by your presence, patron. He purred, taking a slight and strangely elegant bow. To what do we owe such an honor? There's no need to be snide, Neff. I came here because I need your help. His eyes grew wider, and he glowered at me from his impressive height. Give me a moment to understand this. Your predecessor, may his soul rot wherever it may be promised me that he would repair the damage done to me in the course of his ill-conceived first attempt to forge a shepherd. He gave me a purpose in guarding this realm, 
and reassured me that I would be restored. This has not happened. And now, you come along, after having promised me the same thing last time you were here, and expect my help. It strains credulity. Hmm. Father made a lot of promises. He also had more knowledge than I do about how to set you free from this place. Or I would assume so. Your form would explode from within again if you left. Is that what you want? I want to live as a mannequin patron. He had no right to shove that thing inside me with obviously no notion as to what would happen. I live in torment now in this frozen hell, waiting on the promise of a dead god. He moved away from me and turned his back. In truth, I hadn't forgotten about Neff, but I needed him to maintain this realm. There was nothing I could do about his condition. When Father had first tinkered with the idea of having guardians to watch the worlds, he took the unformed energy of a shepherd and tried to force it inside a human, hoping it would naturally blend with the soul and therefore create a formidable warrior to walk among his people. For a time it seemed to work, and I have no doubt that Father patted himself on the back for that one. Then, while he was walking among his people, Neff simply exploded. Exploded was a mild description for the destruction caused by Father's folly. What happened in the marketplace today was a sneeze by comparison. Neff leveled a city and killed hundreds instantly in a wave of untapped energy that simply built up until it couldn't be contained any longer. Father put Neff back together as best he could, and stuck him in this place so his energy would cease to build, and he couldn't hurt anyone. As much as I hated Father, I probably would have done the same, although I questioned exactly what kind of a life that he had envisioned for Neff after he had finished with him. Look, I'm sorry for what happened to you, and that I don't know how to fix you. Save your apologies, Mick. I care little for him. I know what you want, and it is not to do with me. I need you to... He rose into the air. They were awakened the moment I sensed you had arrived. For why else would you be here? For me? <laughs> Follow me. I joined him in flight, and we soared over the houses and around the towering light of the soul storm. I have noticed that there have been more souls going out than coming in. Is that your doing? We're making a difference in the worlds, if that's what you mean. Indeed. I was afraid that I might have to give him a few more scars, so I let his attempt to dig at me go by. He pointed at the small light in the distance among the houses. They reside there, as per your instructions. Are you finished with me now? I turned around and pointed at him. Be where I can find you. He grinned, and I turned away from him to fly down to the source of the light. He was a bitter son of a bitch, but I'd be damned if he got the last word. As I got close to the light, a rare and beautiful sight unfolded. Instead of a dark, cold-looking modern house that might as well be a tomb, there was a brightly lit house in the middle of a laneway with smoke drifting lazily out of the chimney. The walkway leading up to it was being vigorously shuffled by a man in a large puffy-looking coat and a fur-lined hat with ear flaps. He was taking huge shuffleful's from the heaping snows, and barely looked up from his work as I landed at the head of the walk. His red hair stuck out from under the hat he wore, and his beard spilled out like a flow of lava down his chest. His brilliant gold eyes turned towards me, and for a moment I was taken back to years ago, when he tried to bury an axe in my head. Noxos? He stopped shoveling, and hoisted the shovel over his shoulder with a reminiscent gesture. He was much diminished from his mortal form, but still imposing. He strode over to me and stretched out his hand. I was suspicious, but I took it in mind and shook it anyway. 
Does this mean that you hate me less than when we last met? Perhaps. I am happier here than I was in life, a condition which I am told is due to your instructions. If that is true, then I thank you. It is, and you're welcome. It was the least I could do, considering. Noxo shook his head. You did not kill me, Mick. I will take it up with Jack when he arrives. Hmm. That's kind of why I'm here. Light spilled out from inside, bathing both of us in the warm light as the door opened. Are you just going to stand around gabbing, or will you let my brother finish with the shoveling and get inside? I looked past Noxus. Standing at the door was Apostos. His blonde hair was tied back, and he was wearing a white bathrobe and fuzzy slippers. He had a cup of something lovely and steaming held in one hand and saluted me with it. Gladly, I said, slapping Noxus on the shoulder as I made my way up to the house. Chapter 10 On the inside, the house was just as inviting. It resembled a cabin in the woods in a lot of ways. All rough wooden walls crafted from raw timber, and a solid stone mantel with a cobbled chimney. But the floors were stone tiles, and there were modern fixtures in the kitchen and living room. I had made it so as a gesture of thanks to those we had lost. I dried my boots on the mat and slung my coat over a rack near the door. I walked through the hall, noting the strange photographs from unfamiliar places along the walls that were there before I altered this house. The landmarks in the photos resembled no place in all the world as far as I had seen. They were a curiosity that I just couldn't dismiss. I was looking at a picture of a large suspension bridge with tall iron gates near a city when Apostos held out a mug of hot cocoa for me. Intriguing, are they not? I smiled at Apostos and took the mug. He seemed as lively as he had been before his demise. I took a sip of the cocoa and was surprised by how real it felt. Warmth in the land of the dead. None of us recognize these places either, he continued. But who knows how much father erased along with the memory of Manon. I did not recognize Neff at all when I met him, so that would be another thing, wouldn't it? Charming, isn't he? He has suffered more than most, although it does not make for stimulating conversation. Come on in the living room and say hello to everyone. Okay, I replied, feeling very strange about the whole situation. I followed him down the hall and into the living room, pausing on the divide to take in the full scope of what I was seeing. Apostle sat down in a leather chair. Next to him on a couch was Pendulous. He no longer bore his scars and was dressed in a dark gray sweater with a white shirt and dark pants. He looked up from the book he was writing in and nodded at me. He kept stealing quick glances at me while I looked around. Sibelius was the youngest and was dressed in a similar fashion to Pendulous. He was sitting near the fire reading as well, his golden locks dangling in his face. He kept picking them out of the way and tucking them back as he read. He grinned at me when he noticed me staring at him. It's good to see all of you. I wish it was in a better place. Sure, Sibelius said. But since our brother was such a good shot, and your wife not great at keeping track of her guns, apparently we are here. Uh, I was at a loss. Ignore them, Mick. They have forgiven me, but they like to remind me of it anyway. Apostos is quite correct. At least in death, we are no longer living a lie and perpetuating it. 
Not living at all, Sibelius replied. He closed his book and put it down. He got up from his chair and walked over to me directly. Apostos tried to grab him, but Sibelius got up in my face. The last time he had been nearly this close, Father had sent him to retrieve us when we were on the run from Noxos. He had guts, I'll give him that. We are dead because you tricked Apostos into believing in your hopeless little crusade, Mick. You are not fit to rule the worlds, and I will always believe that despite how comfortable you make my coffin. Sit down, Pentelus said, quietly but firmly. But brother, we must... <clears throat> Mick could put you to sleep forever if he wanted to, Sibelius. The reason that he does not is because we are already dead. What would be the point? Spending your time bitching about the past is quite useless. Besides, we know why you are so angry, Sibelius. <laughs> he has come to see her. Shut your mouth, brother. Sibelius crept away, giving me one last withering look, and sat down at his place by the fire. If you hurt her, Mick, I will do what I can to return the favor. From the adjoining hall next to the living room, I heard a door open. Lethia stepped out from the hallway. She was dressed in a purple gown, and her long dark hair was braided and youthful. She resembled the Julia that she pretended to be when we met, and less like the monstrous queen that led the kingdom to slaughter and enslave others. Her blue eyes betrayed no malice, no hint of the evil that once lay within her heart. Father hadn't done very many good things in his existence that I knew of. But resurrecting her and purging the last of the darkness from her soul was more than generous. In a heartbeat, she had crossed the room and wrapped her arms around me. The shock of it made me hesitate for a moment, but then I got over it and returned her embrace. Careful, my dear, Sibelius said. He's a married man. His wife and I are well acquainted. She broke away and laid her hand on the side of my face for a second before letting me go. It's good to see you. How's Casey? She's well? And so are the others. Lethia, I... Julia, Mick, please. Julia, I didn't come here just to visit. Something bad happened today. And I need your help to find Jack. I think he's involved. Noxos came in the front door and chucked his shoes off. He shook snow from his hair and beard. Julia shot him a look. Can you not get it everywhere? He grinned and tossed his snowy hat on the floor. He stepped over it. Sorry, princess. Now that I am dead, I could care less. <laughs> his laughter boomed around the house. I saw a bit of flush rise in Julia's cheeks, and I swore that the old Lethia was going to make an appearance. But she smiled and just shook her head. Take a walk with me. Works for me. Sibelius was up in an instant. That is not a good idea. I'm not some delicate flower, Sibelius, Julius said, taking my arm. And I go where I please. I looked around the room and caught Pentelus trying to stifle a rare grin. Lead on, Mick.
Chapter 11 We went strolling through the snow in the dark streets of the afterlife. I promised myself that when I had time I would remake this gloomy place. Who the hell wanted to spend their afterlife in snow and darkness? Father had had some really odd ideas, that's for sure. Julie had no warmth to her being dead and all, but I kept thinking I should offer her my coat. She seemed so alive, though, and I realized that I would have truly cared for her if she hadn't been so twisted up by darkness. She and Casey had the same steel in their hearts, and it was a shame that they'd never been friends. I mourned the fact that our sister was missing from the here and now. How could I help you, Mick? I didn't even know that Jack was still alive. I told her about the attack, and showed her the tie pin that I found after. She recognized it as well, and agreed with me that it was once Jack's. That doesn't mean he's still around. That Ray thing guarding Penny was a nasty bit of work. It killed Nicholas. I was moving on to Felker as I went down fighting Manon's little brutes. I never saw if Jack made it, or not. Manon lost his connection, and then he lost his head. Something happened, obviously. My problem is that I need to find whoever's doing this, and if it is Jack, or Penny, or both, then I need to know where to look to find them. I need to know which you know, Julia. What do you mean? You know where Penny and Jack come from, and where they used to haunt. And frankly, if it's them, then they're making moves that I don't understand. And you think that I do? I took her hand. Don't misunderstand me, but I do think that you know them a hell of a lot better than I do. And you went a lot darker than I did. If you want to help, then this is what I want. She pulled her hand away and backed away from me. I'll help you, Mick. But you have to help me out, too. (laughs) Wow, what the hell do the dead need? And what would that be? Mick, hanging out with my fellow God Squad members is getting kind of old. And I want more. I want back. It was my turn to back away. I had a bad feeling that I knew where this was going. Back? As in alive? That's the idea. That's not possible. If I could bring you all back, wouldn't you think I've done it by now? She got up close to me and kissed me before I had a chance to do anything else. Oh God, Casey would kill me. I laughed and pushed her off. What the hell? Did you feel anything, Mick? Did you get excited? Revolted? Pissed off? I'm getting there. She slapped me. I can't feel anything, and I never will unless you help me. That's my price. I thought about Casey and Flynn and everyone else that I fought for. The decision came easy. If that's your price, then I'll pay it. I'll find a way, I promise you. Very well, she said, taking my arm again. How do you want to do this? Hell, in a lot of ways, Julie was just as she'd always been, except now the monster was buried deep down and was still calling the shots, at least some of them anyway. I would have to be very careful in my dealings with her. Neff, I yelled into the night. Let's talk. Chapter 12 How far will you go? The question burned in my mind as I watched the girl struggle on the floor of the morgue, trying to get her bearings. 
She was almost to her knees when her body seized and she vomited a pool of bile onto the floor. She fell onto her side and began to cough, probably from the bitterness of the chemicals that were in her body when she died, and were now being expelled. I summoned a bottle of cold water and bent down to massage her back as she coughed and sputtered. I needed her to get over this, quickly. Drink this. It'll help. I put the cold bottle of water into her hands. She slipped it slowly, rising to sit on the floor cross-legged. I could tell who she was behind her eyes when she pulled her gown down over her legs to preserve her dignity, and looked up at me with the same haughty arrogance in her eyes that she had when once we met. For a moment, her eyes flared with the green energy of our tribe as we met each other again. She blinked and cringed at the bright, fluorescent lighting over our heads and shielded her eyes. After a few sips from the bottle, she handed me the water. Help me up. I took her hand, and together we got her to her feet. And then she looked down at herself, at her arms, her hair, and every other thing that was different. This girl had short blonde hair, blue eyes, and a pretty face, when it wasn't pallid and drawn from being dead and all. She curled her hand into a fist, and a pale green light shone out briefly from her eyes. Just a child. Who killed her body with drugs before her 16th birthday not two days ago? I said, picking up a clipboard from a steel table. She was done with it anyway, apparently. Sometimes you don't seem like a very nice guy, Mick. I lifted out the girl's bag of effects from the drawer and plopped it onto the table next to us. I've adapted, Julia. We don't have time to be choosy, so please and thank you, get dressed. Julia smiled and ripped the gown from her body. I looked away quickly but caught a flash of the Y incision. Dying was such a messy business in the modern worlds. You should know, just in case you get any ideas, that you can't just portal out anymore. I told Neff to remove that ability from you, although you're just as tough as you once were. And you can still fly. I can fly too, so don't think that'll give you an edge. She laughed. You really don't believe I've changed, do you? Let me put it this way. Father brought you back after Manon sucked all the darkness out of you and you seem to be on our side for the most part. Whether you want to call yourself Lethia or Julia doesn't matter to me. The one thing I know about having the power that we do is this. It feeds on our natural inclinations. And lady, yours were pretty dark when I met you, and I'm not sure that anything's changed. You would be surprised how small push it takes to send you in that direction. Not much at all, really. You can turn around now. I turned back. She was dressed in tight camel pants, a white t-shirt that said Queen Bitch, picked out in glittering plastic jewels, and a short-fitting black hoodie with a fur collar. The girl's body was very thin, too thin really. However this society dealt with raising their girls, it really worked her over. I felt a pang of anger towards her parents, one parent to another, but it faded when I remembered that she wasn't coming back to them. Flynn wasn't really that much younger, and my mind quickly closed the door on the place it would probably go if anything happened to him. So, how are we going to do this? You're going to help me find Jack. In exchange, I'll let you stay in that body. You can either go your own way after that, or stay with us. We are your people, after all. Maybe help us watch over the worlds that you did so much damage to. Either way, I'll be watching you for the rest of your days, Julia. You can count on that. I have no doubt. There's just one thing, though. She jumped forward and kissed me on the lips again. Lips were dry and smelled like a bouquet of vomit and harsh chemicals. 
I pushed her away, whipping at my mouth. Oh, oh, bloody hell! Ugh, why did you do that? She smiled, closed her eyes, and her cheeks went all rosy. Just wanted to make sure it all works. I didn't come back just to see the sights, you know. The sound of a metal tray hitting the floor resounded near the entrance to the morgue. I turned to see a young black woman in hospital scrub standing there in front of a mess of cardboard food containers splattered onto the floor. Damn it. Now, <laughs> you were supposed to be gone for another 20 minutes, I said, moving towards her. Mick, wait, wait, Julia said at my back. I took the hand of the young woman, whose name was Cynthia Dobbs, according to her ID badge. The connection was instant, and it reached into her mind. It was getting so easy to do this now. Maybe, maybe too easy. It was necessary, though, I told myself. What else was I supposed to do? Within seconds, I had reached her memories, and I took away everything that happened after she turned the corner and entered the morgue. Then, with a gentle suggestion, I put her to sleep. I caught her as she collapsed, and laid her down against one of the steel tables. What did you just do? I made sure that she won't remember me. Hell, for all I know, she could have been the one to do the cutting on that girl you're inside. Either way, I think she's better off not knowing, don't you? Julia got right up in my face. You've got a hell of a nerve, Mick. Since when can you mess with people's minds? Part of the package, I guess. Came with the whole raising the dead thing. Godhood has its privileges, after all, I guess. I put two fingers on her chest and pushed her back a couple feet. Let's get out of here before the rest of the staff gets back, I said. The sooner we find Jack, the better. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Keep sharing and subscribing to help me bring the story to you each week. Come back next week for another episode of The Lost Drive of Darkest Hour.